Amen. Amen. I was wondering, you know, how to begin this message, and suddenly I remembered a book. I think it's one of the oldest and first books that I actually ever read. It was called The Cross and the Switchblade. Maybe some of you still remember that? The Cross and the Switchblade is the story of David Wilkerson in New York, how he was evangelizing among the youth gangs, uh, ministering to drug addicts. And there was one, and his name was Nicky Cruz. And now for many, many years he's been an evangelist now, but he used to be one of the gang leaders. And he had this knife in his hand, and he actually wanted to kill David Wilkerson. And that David Wilkerson said to him, and that's something that I somehow had to think of, because I believe that phrase is so important. It's something that changed everything. He began the ministry. He said to Nicky Cruz, even though you might cut me into a thousand pieces, each one of these pieces will never stop loving you. And that was the beginning of the transformation of an entire gang and a neighborhood. And a wonderful ministry was birthed out of that. David Wilkerson is one of those people whom the Lord has used very, very powerfully. And now let me draw a wide circle from David Wilkerson to a friend of mine who I also love very much and you too. And I'm actually quite uh, surprised as well that I should preach about him again. But um, this uh, I thought I'd finished that last Sunday, but I will do it t today again. And his name is Jonah. You know, so this is, I believe each one here, you almost have your own message on Jonah. And that's really good because he is like an example it is so symbolic. You can really do a lot with it. But I believe the Lord actually wants to give you something new as well. And therefore, I will read a few verses to you. And first of all, you might think it's a bit kind of out of context. But then you will understand what it's all about. And then afterwards, we will talk about David Wilkerson again. And Nikki Cruz. Okay, well, Jonah. 1 verses 1 to 4. And um, then, so we go here. That's chapter 4. Um, so it's we start in verse 10. It's talking about Nineveh. Um, but the Lord... Uh, no, hang on. In English, it's a different verse, ca verse count. Um, then the Lord God um, provided a vine. That was the other thing. Um, when the Lord saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He, prepared, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Oh no, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Well, this message is not about anger, and actually this is a message about um, reconciliation, because many times on uh, Yom Kippur this story is read, um, and so that's very interesting, and also to see with the name of Jonah, meaning dove, and many times you don't really get the connection very quickly. And later we will talk about this a bit more because there's something else. Jonah is the son of Amitai. We read that in Jonah 1 verse 1. That's um, 
emet, truth. So Jonah is not just the dove and representing the Holy Spirit and guidance of the Holy Spirit, but he's also the son of truth. So quite amazing, huh? Quite amazing to see what you can find in such a short book. And for everyone who's never heard this before, I'll just uh, summarize a few things. You know, in the beginning, he, Jonah was called, go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. And actually, Nineveh is not just any city, any big city, but it was the very heart of the, of the empire of evil. You know, that was Nineveh. Sin was crying out to heaven even. And another prophet of the little prophets said it's the city of blood. And Zephaniah says, this city is so uh, haughty and says, there is none like me. I am it and there's no, no one beside me. So that city was actually deserving of judgment. 120,000 people living there and now Jonah was supposed to go. We know that. And he goes exactly the opposite direction, heading for Tarshish. And then he gets into the boat. I spoke about that last Sunday. And the Hebrew significance doesn't say he get into uh, the boat, but he goes down into the ship. And somehow it was the beginning of his demise, kind of going down. And we know what happened. He ended up in the belly of the fish. And in my last message last Sunday, I said that... Jonah had been too proud to ask forgiveness. He didn't actually have to be thrown into the sea. He just would have had to ask forgiveness, but he was too proud. So that was about now the question, what did Jonah preach about in Nineveh? And also what continued to happen? We can read a great storm came up and the ship threatened to sink and all the sailors tried to save Jonah with all they had and tried to save the ship. But then he is finally thrown overboard and then the big fish, doesn't say a whale, but the big fish swallows him. And then it says a bit later on, the fish vomited him onto dry land and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh. That's how we know it. But let's take a bit of a different angle on the story now and maybe the Jewish uh, perspective on the book of Jonah helps us here. And one specific verse that we might be able to overlook because it seems so normal, because in Jonah 4 verse 2 it says, Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now that is a really a strange sentence here and we'll take a look at it a bit further on and we'll think of the fact why this is strange. But first of all, let's take a closer look at the compassion and grace of God a bit more. Because the compassion and grace of God is the very nature of God's love. And we know the story in Exodus 34, where the living God walks past Moses, and there it says, the Lord walked past Moses, and they say this is the self-revelation of God, and then he calls out his own name. And Moses can only see him from behind, because if he had seen him, from face to face, he would have died. And then he calls out his names. God calls his name, Lord, Lord, gracious and compassionate, 
patient and of great faithfulness. That is God's nature. He calls it out. It's his own word and his nature. Psalm 103, it says, gracious, compassionate God. And we can say that so easily, you know, compassionate and gracious, patient and full of love. It's a great verse, right? We love it. He will not be angry forever. He will not act with us according to our sins. He will not um, treat us as we deserve, because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so his mercies over all who love him. That is the Lord, merciful and compassionate. Hebrews 4, we read the same thing, the compassion and mercy of God. Because we have not a high priest who unable to identify with us and suffer with us. That's about Jesus, the high priest. And let us approach with confidence to the throne of grace so we would receive mercy and grace at the time that we need help. So what can I receive there at his throne? The very essence of who he is, his grace and mercy. And so let's look at these two key words before we look at Jonah again. So these are the key elements, grace and mercy. So grace and mercy tries to describe something that you cannot describe. You cannot describe God's nature. It's so glorious, so great, so unbelievable. And so, if you translate certain things, sometimes the deeper significance is lost. And the word grace is the word chesed. Maybe we can have that on the projector here. So you can look at it in Hebrew. Chesed, that's grace. One of the most important words there is. And chesed, that's grace. And this word is more than we in general would imagine with Grace. Chesed, and I read that in a newspaper actually, not just in a Bible dictionary, but in the Jewish general uh, newspaper, a lady rabbi wrote, she said, Chesed is the love that comes without strings attached, does not expect anything in return. And they used to um, uh, translate that with uh, mercy for your neighbor or compassion. But this chesed is love that has no strings, strings attached, no conditions, doesn't expect anything in return, and is more than love between a husband and wife. That it shows something of the nature of God. So in the Jewish uh, mindset, chesed speaks about tikkun olam also. So if you talk to Jewish friends, it's also always about trying to make the world a better place. That's part of chesed. And so in the Jewish mindset, if you say anything or speak and you don't do anything, you just sit there in your place, you are not credible because part of God's goodness, of his mercy, is always to do something, be active. And God's chesed is one of the basic elements of God's nature, how he's described. It's an absolute, it's with no limits. And this grace and mercy of God is one thing, it cannot be stopped. It can never be held back. This chesed of God can never end. There never is a point when it says, now it's enough. This, this, that's it for chesed. 
And the second term, this um, mercy, we know that from some of the songs we sing, Rachamim, you see that here, that's the mercy. So the one is grace, the other one's mercy. And how can you describe mercy? Maybe you feel the same that I did. We hear those words and it doesn't really stir anything inside. But if it is to describe God's nature, we can't really receive it. And so in Isaiah 49, verse 15, God speaks himself. And then, then so it's the, the passage here. Yeah, so please only show the picture when I tell you. Well, that wasn't supposed to happen. Okay, now they're really shaking in the back. Anyway, I want you to concentrate on the word and then you'll understand the picture. So, Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? So, can you listen to that once more? That's about compassion. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So the prophet Isaiah tries to describe compassion and says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Can a mother forget that baby if she's a kind of normal? No, surely not. And even though she may forget, the Lord says, I will not forget you. So we see Isaiah tries to find the words to describe God's compassion. He tries to describe something that cannot possibly be described. God's compassion is so tremendous, so unfathomable, that there are no words for it. And Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says, God who is rich in mercy and compassion. It's not just compassion. It's not just overflowing in emotions and doing something good, but compassion is huge it turns the entire universe upside down and it is described here like the father who has compassion on his children who's rich in mercy he cannot even deny his own nature and we'll show you the picture in a moment we know that Hebrew is a language that is using a lot of images and pictures, and we can see that by lo just looking at the word ruach. One significance is spirit, and the other one is wind or breath. So there's different meanings to that one word. And so the word rachamim, of compassion, is an ancient Hebrew word for compassion, but also a generalization of the word for womb. And that means, in Hebrew, the word compassion is described as something that surrounds the unborn child in the mother's body in the mother's womb the warmth the security the provision all the protection complete trust intimate relationship that's what a child experiences within the mother's womb and that is what is described in the term mother's womb and so at first i thought this was rather over, overdone or kitschy but uh, this picture actually shows the mother and the child 
And the artist says, I didn't see it, but the artist says, this is supposed to show them connected, to show love, and also is supposed to show the connection within the womb. And so you can take the picture away again. But I try to show you that this image because our spirit really has a hard time understanding and grasping the compassion and mercy of God. Because the very nature of God's love is that it cannot be stopped by anyone. The very nature of God's compassion is that it never ends. And God says, can a mother forget the baby that she should not show mercy to the son she has born? Won't she carry him inside as God always carries you inside? That is the very nature of God's love. It's the very nature of the Heavenly Father. The nature of the Heavenly Father is love, compassion, mercy, is real, is palpable. And he is after you to realize and understand, not just talk about it. And so th that's all by way of introduction. So we can really see and understand the book of Jonah in a different perspective. And so I started reading the book of Jonah and all of a sudden I had a different perspective, not looking through Jonah's eyes, but I suddenly saw through the eyes of the Heavenly Father. And I saw a stubborn Jonah and I could put my own name in that place or each one of us, someone who's there, Jonah, and I saw the Heavenly Father. He was so soft, so compassionate, merciful. And I thought, wow, how many times would I have said, now enough. But God's love and mercy can never be stopped. It never ends. And so let's take a look. And I just want to take a look at a few more of those verses. You know the story, but it doesn't matter. We can't read these verses often enough. Let's take a look at how Jonah was called. You know, when God calls somebody, it's not due to give you a heavy load of stones, but it's his love. Because God says, I actually trust you to serve me. I trust you to follow me. That's his love. If God asks us for something, that's not a burden, but it's something that he can do. And we need to do that, even though we might not understand. And so then we can hear him. And that's what happened for Jonah. It was a sign of his love. And he said, Jonah, could you do that? And yet he ran away. And so the prophet just ran away. And I imagine the father in heaven and wondering, you know, how can he, I ever trust Jonah again? He ran away. That's not possible. I wanted to use him to save 120,000 people. That would have been such a joy, but he just ran away. 
And then he thinks, okay, speak to some angels, the heavenly hosts, and now Jonah is there on the ship and says, oh, well, come on, let's, let's stir up a bit of a storm here. And, you know, sometimes the Lord has to really do a lot to convince us. And we know, verse 4, the Lord caused a great storm to arise on the sea and the ship threatened to break up. Sometimes the Lord has really to stir up a lot in order to convince us. You know, so much is going on. There's mistakes going on. There's uh, things going wrong. I come across obstacles. And actually, it's just the Lord trying to do everything possible to get us back onto that road of blessing. And then we read, and we know how it happened, Jonah sleeps. Oh, Jonah, come on. Hey, man, when will you wake up? And I imagine the Father in heaven looking at Jonah in that nutshell of a ship together with all the hosts of heaven. And we know what happened, you know, he's thrown overboard and of course... Then he's swallowed by the big fish. Well, not eaten, but just swallowed. Actually saved, to be precise. And for three days and three nights, Jonah is inside the fish. I mean, I don't know what you would have felt like. But actually, we say, no, no, we probably would have started crying out to God immediately. But so many times we don't, right? You know, what happens? We get into a crisis, things become difficult, darkness is there, you are struggling. And all of a sudden, after a few days, you think, oh, maybe I should start praying somehow. It sounds familiar, by any chance? And that's what happened here. And the Father in heaven said, Hey, Jonah, what, what is this with you? And then Jonah starts praying. And he says, Oh, this, even this prayer, you know, it is, it is a real rarity. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. So it really sounds very complicated. He kind of reads it down. Uh, from the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. Well, I don't know whether God heard it because he was in the belly of the fish. You hurled me into the deep. No, that's not true, Jonah. The sailors threw you overboard into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I don't know. If I were the Heavenly Father, I would not have listened. You know, Jonah, can't you even pray a normal prayer? Do you have to pray something so religious? Three days and three nights talking rubbish. You threw me into the depths, all your breakers. And as if it had been the sea's fault that he had ended up in this crisis in the belly of the fish. And actually, he complains to God. That's his prayer. You know, just see the Father in Heaven listening to that and listening to us praying the things we are praying, what he has to listen to. Actually, this prayer is a prayer full of bitterness. And it doesn't take much to be bitter. You know, to be bitter is the easiest thing in the world. Not to be bitter, that's kind of challenging. But anyone can be bitter. So turn to the person next to you, anyone can be bitter. It is like swallowing poison. Just take a few pills and wait for them to kick in. That's bitterness. It's sure to work. It will poison your life. 
Okay, Jonah. I love this word, you know. It was seaweed around my head and everything, you know, that's great. So I see the Father in heaven, the Son, the angels, the Holy Spirit, and they see Jonah. And somehow he says, I will thank you with a loud voice. And at last he gets around to it. I will sacrifice to you and keep my vows. I think there was there was praises in heaven. Finally, he's got it. Yes, to do it. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then it says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I read in the Talmud, you know what it says there? It says, and Hashem spoke to the fish and he he vomited Jonah to dry land. I actually prefer that. I think that was kind of the, uh, what the way the fish sensed. So it was good that the uh, Heavenly Father didn't think like that. But it actually was what the fish felt, you know, out with this. I don't want to keep this anymore. And God didn't look for somebody else. He didn't have his heavenly telescope. Oh, who will we use next? No, still going for Jonah. This stubborn, stiff-necked guy. Jonah 3, verse 3. This time Jonah obeyed the word. So this time he obeyed. Isn't that nice? Father, you should be happy. This time he obeyed. Well, great for him to obey at some point. Well, actually, 80% obedience is 100% disobedience, okay? So we're really experts. We're saying, oh, Lord, didn't you know? notice where I obeyed? And the Lord said, no, 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 no. That's nice that you obeyed, but 80% obedience towards the word of God is 100% disobedience. Anyway, he goes, finally. And now Nineveh wasn't very far actually from today's city of Mosul, which is north of Baghdad, the capital of Assyria. And that's where he went, and then Jonah 3, verse 10, he calls them to repentance, and God is so merciful. It's amazing. This city, the empire of evil, it was part of the axis of evil of its time, you know. And this city... And God just says, all right. When God saw what they did and how they returned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. He didn't, he didn't regret bringing destructions, but even threatening destruction. There's so much love in the Father. He regretted the destruction he had threatened. And you know, the Father, he was really pained by the sin, and yet... He spared them. So that takes us to our passage for today. So I tried to prepare you a little bit. And now we understand the next few verses. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. What? He prayed to the Lord and complained, Oh Lord, is this it? not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, 
a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? So let me describe that in different words. Jonah is really, really upset with God. He's totally angry and bitter. He's complaining. You know, that's a mark. You sh I'm sure you don't know that. But I knew that up front. I, we don't know that at all, right? I knew that beforehand. And then he even starts justifying his old sins. You know, he repented in the belly of the fish, and he said, now, now you see, Lord, that's why I ran away. So he tries to justify the old stuff. I knew it. And then he wants to jump off the ship again. Oh, Jonah, I don't know. This is a habit with you. Four times in that passage, he says, oh, I'd rather be dead. Jonah, no, I'd rather go away. Jonah, please, stop manipulating this way. That is just you trying to, to blackmail me. That's what I would say. Jonah, just, just stop it for a moment. But God says, verse 4, hey, Jonah, do you think that's okay? That's all he says. Do you think that's okay? Have you any right to be angry? And that really upsets my image. Father in heaven, I mean, you've got all the heavenly hosts at your disposal. Couldn't you just uh, bind up Jonah and put a gag in his mouth or something? Uh, Jonah, now such love from the Father. Now Jonah really should go to his knees and say, Oh, Father, you are so loving to me. But no way. No, no, no. Jonah doesn't even reply. That's really strange. Sometimes when we experience love and we are so angry and upset, we don't even reply. That is the best sign that we have actually swallowed that poison pill of bitterness. And that's what happened to Jonah. He doesn't even answer. He simply goes out to the a place east of the city. He doesn't even talk to God anymore. And there he sits down and is waiting for the righteous judgment. What? Jonah? You don't believe that you don't believe that Nineveh will go free? No, I don't believe that. I want to see judgment on Nineveh, says Jonah. And that's why he settles down east of the city and he just waits for the city to go down. Now, if I had been the Lord, so at the very latest then, I would have gone looking for somebody else. But the Father in heaven? It's unbelievable. You know what he does? I mean, at least I would have kind of at least scared Jonah or something. But he sits there. And the Father in heaven causes an umbrella to grow for him, a sunshade. Actually, nice to go with our summer holidays now. He makes a shelter to grow over him. And so he leans back and wants to enjoy the apocalyptic spectacle and enjoy, you know, hail and, and fire and brimstone and like with playing a video game. But we know how it continues. His umbrella, his shade collapses and the sun comes down and stings him and whatever. What happens to Jonah? He is upset again and wants to die again. I'd rather die, I'd rather go, I'd rather not be here. 
And then God rebukes him once more. And he says, what is wrong with you, Jonah? And maybe we can ask this question ourselves, put ourselves in Jonah's place. What is wrong with you? Why does my love, my compassion not get to you? Don't you see that it is my love that cannot be stopped? You know, you, with you, it's enough even for your umbrella to be broken and then you start doubting all the promises and everything I've ever given you. Maybe it's not your broken umbrella, but a broken car or something else that's broken for you. Your entire da day goes down the drain. Forget about God's goodness. And maybe by the time prayer evening comes around, if Claudia is leading well, I can get back up again. For us, that's even enough. And then Jonah is really uptight. And God says, stop threatening me to wanting to die, wanting to leave. You know, Jonah, your umbrella, your sunshade is more important to you. You are more important to yourself than my grace and mercy to other people. Why doesn't that get through to you? Jonah, didn't you see? I have, ne I never took my hand away from you as well. And the Lord says that to you also. I've never taken my hand away from you. Yes, you went through crisis, you went through problems. It wasn't easy and you had to go through struggles. But never did I take my hand and my compassion and mercy away from you. They will never end. You know, here Jonah is corrected lovingly by God because his own love is egocentric. You know, the one thing is we can just focus on ourselves and even our love can be focused on ourselves. It has nothing to do with God's love. And so Jonah accuses everything and everyone around him and so many times we are like that with the exception of ever humbling himself for his own part in this. Everyone else, the wind, the waves, and God, and the sailors, and this call. Why did God call him to go in the first place? And so he accuses everything and everyone, but he does not repent at all for betraying God's love himself. Because he says, all day I've reached out my hands to disobedient people. All day God is there waiting for us to come to him. And wow, there would be so many reasons for God to actually put an end to his love and to say, stop, it's enough. So many reasons for the Heavenly Father to say, now it's enough to really thump his fist on the table and say, enough is enough. He doesn't do that. We saw that in Jonah. You know, really. What image of the family father is that? His love will never end. You cannot stop his love. And with the people of Israel, the same thing. Yes, they had ups and downs and struggles, but the covenant they entered into with God, he never ended that. He never canceled that. It's the covenant of his love. And so many times he would have had reason with you, with us, with me, he would have had reasons so many times to say, you know, enough is enough. Today, 
would you say, you know, to finish things? He would have had reason enough. But his mercy and his compassion and love never end. And with Jesus, we see the same thing. You know, the Word of God says, when we look to Jesus, we see the image of the Heavenly Father and His love cannot be stopped. Jesus, for three years, He lived on the earth. Then He went to the cross. He was beaten, spat at. And Jesus says, you can do that. You can spit at me, but my love will never be stopped. You can even crucify me, but my love will never be stopped by anyone. You can give me a crown of thorns, but my love will not be stopped. You might want to accuse me, mock me, betray me. My love will not be stopped. That is the love of Jesus. That is not something emotional, soulish, depending on emotions, but it's the love of Jesus that went to the cross, who were taken down from the cross, who went to the grave, and then the stone was rolled away, and he said, it doesn't matter where the stones are in front of the grave, the tomb, my love will not be stopped. Jesus, who went to the cross and overcame the devil, and he overcame the devil not through a soulish love that is on and off at times, but by a love that can, cannot be stopped by anyone, that will go to the very end and that will never be stopped. That is the love that overcomes the devil and overcomes Satan. Wow, just look at it. How many times does the love of Jonah end? How many times does it end? He starts and ends and starts and ends. And how many times is it like that for us? We begin and then we stop again and we think God doesn't care. No, it is completely contrary to his compassion and mercy, to the way he is. And we begin in prayer and then we stop again. We begin getting our lives right and then we stop again. We begin doing something about our anger and we stop again. And we stop loving. And then we begin and then we say, oh, I knew it. And somebody comes and treats me unfairly. Somebody comes and rejects me. Somebody comes and I think I've got every right to be bitter and angry. And I stop doing what God asked me to do. We just stop it. We finish our relationships, even between brothers and sisters. We finish our relationships in the family. We finish our relationships in the churches. And we go and find another church. We stop our relationships and don't even know what it means to forgive. But every time we stop love, stop having love and, and mercy and compassion, we start serving ourselves. Nobody can see that, but we just serve ourselves. And then we stop living in accordance with the love of God, because love and mercy and compassion and grace of God never stop, they never end. We stop being a mirror of God's love, and we are only a mirror image of our own self, even though that may still look Christian. And Jonah, from a biblical perspective, was a fool. I don't know what you feel like, but the term fool is often mentioned in uh, Proverbs and Psalms, and we have our own ideas of this word fool. You know, we see an image of maybe carnival and, and fools there, but God has a different idea. The term 
Fall is mentioned 84 times in the Bible program, and even the New Testament, Jesus speaks about the fall, the rich fall with a great farm and, and many fields, and he says, I've got so many good things, I will store up good things, and I will build bigger barns to store up all my grain, and then I will sit back and say, my dear soul, you have stored up riches for many years, eat, drink, and be merry. But God spoke to him and said, you fool. This night, they will demand your soul. And to whom will all these riches go to? So this is for everyone who gathers treasures and is not rich with God. And so I thought before describing uh, to you what a fool is, I will read a Bible commentary to us. God calls people who are not willing to be uh, corrected and taught, he calls them fools. In Proverbs, they are marked by the fact that they are deeply convinced about the rightness of their own ideas. They are stubborn with a hard character. So this is all from the Bible, right? You can see that. Proverbs and some, their life is formed by wrong decisions, Psalm 1712. Uh, a fool despises correction, Proverbs, a fool thinks he does everything right. It has no sense trying to correct him. He is not willing to change. Uh, the life of a fool always ends up in judgment, in Proverbs and in Psalms. So turn to the person next to you and ask him, are you a fool? And then three more phrases. If you're looking for modern examples of fools, you'll get uh, really rich treasures in the boulevard press, rainbow press. Uh, you see them, they are do doing right in their own eyes. All their relationships end in nothing. They do things that are really stupid. So this world needs different examples and you can be one of them. So turn to the person next to you and say, you can be an example. So that's enough for the fool now. So turn to the other person next to you and tell them, don't be a fool. But Jonah was a fool. He was someone like that. And therefore, to repeat that word, therefore I wanted to flee to Tarshish because I knew you were merciful and compassionate, full of goodness. Jonah, what is your problem? Why on earth do you want to run away from God's love and compassion? That is sick. It's terrible. You should enjoy love God, God's love and compassion. Why do you have such a problem with the love and provision of God? I mean, there are people who have a problem with love, with closeness. Oh, why do you have such a problem to trust? There are people who really have a problem trusting. And somehow, Jonah, you seem to be one of them. And I have got kind of an idea. You know, his, his name is Amitai. And in 2 Kings 14, we read something. It was the prophet from Gad Hefer. I didn't find anything else about him. But at least his father was a prophet and his name was Truth. I don't know what that truth looked like. But somehow when I summarize all of this and all of my counseling experience from the past 65 years, basically. Yes. Well, all right. For those who are confused, that's not right. My wife will tell me in a moment. 45, 50, 60 years? 35. Okay. 35 years. 
So the past 35 years, when I put all of that in a nutshell, all these exterior signs point to the fact that Jonah had a real heavy problem of fatherhood, a real problem with God the Father. Nobody can accuse him of that, but it's not his father's fault, but it's his problem. He needs to do something about this. Hey, Jonah, you've got a problem. You're running away from God's love. You're not even receiving the best, the coolest thing that God has for you. You can't receive it. Goodness, compassion, mercy, security, like in the mother's womb, to be safe, to be safe in their mother's arms. And here we see all the marks, you know, running away. And then the self-righteousness and pride and uh, self-pity and mainly the problems with the goodness and compassion of God. And another mark that we see here is that he keeps stopping and ending his own love. He always began something and then he ended again. And that's also one of those marks. Maybe you don't know that in your own life, but maybe you do. We begin things and we stop again. We begin and we stop again. We don't go through with things. And he kept connecting his love to conditions. You know, that's also a mark. Love that's not self-giving, but that's conditional. But if we connect our love with conditions, it doesn't count before God, right? And so, my friends, the message here is the love and compassion and mercy of the Heavenly Father can never be stopped. It happened with Jonah, it happened with the people of Israel. And in the life of Jesus, who went to the cross, this love could not be held back. And you know, this love at the cross of Calvary, that's not a love for fools. It is not a feeling for people who want to get some nice and warm religious feelings, but this love was born at the cross. It cannot be any other kind of love but the love that Jesus showed himself. This love is nothing soulish. Because everything that is born from our soul is always connected to us, ourselves. We want to get something for ourselves. And this love is nothing that is focused on ourselves, but it is a love that goes the second, third and fourth mile. And this love doesn't ask about circumstances. Oh, this is impossible. That's too difficult. We've got our own ideas how things are possible and how they're not. But this love just asks about the will of God. That's the only thing that counts. Because God knows what's good for me. The Heavenly Father knows what's good for me. And we are so quick in really saying, oh, this is possible, this is not, this will work, this won't. And we subject these things to our own thoughts. But the love of God does not ask about circumstances, but only about what God says. It's a love that gives itself. Like the broken alabaster jar of perfume the jar that was broken to pour out at the feet of Jesus, poured out. 
You know, the love of Jesus at the cross, the love and compassion of Jesus will never stop, but it breaks to itself. It's not nothing that wants to release one gift and the other gift. These gifts are wonderful, but they all begin with brokenness. It humbles itself. But it never ends. That is a mark of the love of God. It never ends. Even though there might be greatest obstacles, mountains, unrighteousness, unfairness, frustration, people are against you, they shoot against you, they talk negatively. It doesn't matter what happens, or maybe you fail, you can't do certain things, you accuse yourself. But this love will never end. And that is the love that overcomes love, hell, and the grave. It will never stop. And I think that takes us to a very good point where we'll be able to pray together. And I just want to ask you a question. How many times have you lived like Jonah? How many times were you or we, were we like fools? You made your own plans. God was always trying to come with his love and convince you, but you walked your own ways. And you stopped loving. You stopped doing the things the Lord asked you to do. Maybe following him or following people, serving them, ministering to them, showing your heart. Or maybe you were like Jonah, waiting for God's righteous judgment. Oh, I'm sure there are people, and they have to come across God's righteous judgment. But God actually has a different perspective. And how many times have you been complaining because of a broken umbrella or just something that really upset you? How many times did you close yourself for loves God's love completely? And that is the message. I told you about David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz. Even if you cut me into a thousand pieces, each of these pieces will never stop loving you. That shows something of God's love that will never stop loving. So just think about it. Where are you at? Where did you stop with your love? Where did you take your love away from people? Where did you stop? Beat your fist on the table and say, enough is enough. And where did you live completely contrary to how the love of the Heavenly Father is? The love of the Heavenly Father is the love that we see towards Jonah. It is unbelievable. And if it works for Jonah, it works for you too, doesn't it? Full of commitment and mercy and, and compassion. It never ends. It cannot be stopped. And my friends, that's the message for Germany. That's the message for Tübingen. It's the message for all resistance, the message for Poland. It's the message for all areas where there's battles and struggles. God's love can never be stopped. So let's all stand together and then we'll pray together.